Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fulton. The Pro, Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Vault, Vault Volume, Volume 1. One. Bill Dundee, Supermix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Wrestling Have you ever wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, and Billy Jack Haynes. And of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your book today on Amazon. Hey, this is the Rebel Starbuck, the pioneer of Finnish professional wrestling and the most successful wrestler out of the Nordics of Europe in history. You're listening to the Wrestleville Podcast. <laughs> You're listening to the Russellville Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry, and today's guest is Starbuck from Helsinki, Finland. Is that correct? Yeah, Helsinki. Currently, I was actually uh, trained in Calgary, Canada uh, back in 1993 by Lance Storm and Carl Moffat at the Hart Brothers Wrestling School. I'm originally from Timmins, Ontario, Canada, so the same place as Shania Twain, born in 1973, so I'm 49 years of age right now. But yeah, I mean, I pioneered the game of professional wrestling right here in, in Finland in 2003. And I've trained uh, talents on two continents in eight different countries uh, since 2003. So um, it's you can pretty safely say I'm uh, the most acclaimed wrestler, uh, professional wrestler, that is, uh, in, in history out of the Nordics and the Baltics of Europe. If you don't consider George Hackenschmidt, who... Uh, in whose honor I'll be promoting the George Hackenschmidt Invitational Cup in Tallinn, Estonia on pay-per-view worldwide uh, on the 14th of May. Hackenschmidt now, he was more so, um, I would say, even though he wrestled, I think his amateur career more so was in, in Europe, but uh, he went on to become a world champion in America. And then that's where he made his name, really. So outside of maybe Tony Halme, who wrestled as Ludwig Borga, in the WWE back in 1993, I think 94, maybe also, uh, he beat Tatanka's undefeated streak. Uh, he was Finnish, but um, he pretty much flopped in WWE. He wrestled for New Japan also. So, I mean, you basically got two people uh, in the wrestling industry from the Nordic sector of Europe, that being those being George Hackenschmidt and Tony Halme, who can uh, at least challenge me for the title of the most uh, acclaimed wrestler ever out of this area of the world. Well, I have, a, I have a lot of stuff to ask you, so I'm going to go ahead and just start off. How did you get involved in wrestling in Canada? And you, you trained, uh, you, you mentioned where you trained, so how did that all come about? Well, you know, I moved to Calgary from, uh, from Ontario in 1992, at the beginning of 92. And I had graduated in 91 from high school, and um, my parents... I was living with my parents in, in Sudbury, Ontario at the time. Uh, and then I decided to pursue uh, art, graphic art, because the thing is, I'm an artist by trade. Uh, the good Lord above gifted me with an ability to illustrate and draw. I'm very good at it. I do the Conan the Barbarian style of artwork. That's my, that's my niche. You know, um, If you know the Savage Sword of Conan, the old magazine back from the 70s and the 80s, uh, that's the style that I do. I went to art college for four months in Calgary, the Alberta College of Art. And I hated it. I absolutely despised every single waking moment of art college. Uh, the tuitions were 
high as can be the, the student loan was 18%, I believe. I would have been paying out the ass till about 50 to 60 years of age for my student loan uh, if I had if I if I had pursued eight uh, or sorry three to four years of, of Alberta College of Art, and and I quit after four months. My uh, my my professor, my main professor, hated my guts um, for whatever reason. Um, made life difficult for me, and I just thought to myself, this is not for me. It's just this namby pamby, artsy fartsy kind of like just it's it's not for me that it wasn't my bag um and then i found myself basically out of work i i was my parents had saved up money uh my father's a minister he's a pentecostal minister and he'd uh pastored small immigrant churches in canada and the u.s all of his life or i would not all of his life but his adult life um between 1972 and uh, 1996 and I was born once again, 1973. So they had saved up out of his meager earnings as a pastor. They had saved up my post-secondary education fund and it dried up inside of six months. So that tells you something at least. Um, I, I basically was able to make one semester of art college on that uh, money that my, my parents had saved up. And I was able then to uh, live for a couple of months, uh, you know, basically without work and just paying rent. And then the money dried up. My father called me up and he said, son, either you got to find some work or you got to come back home because uh, the money is no longer available. There's no more money to be had. Okay, well, then I put my hands together, prayed to the good Lord above. And, and all of a sudden I got a job at something called um, Alberta Bottled Water. And I became a truck driver for this bottled water company in Calgary. And uh, I worked at the warehouse, was driving there, the water around. One day I delivered water to the industrial uh, area of Calgary. And I went to this one taxi company, went in the door, brought in the bottles, and I saw these black and white pictures on the wall, frame pictures of stampede wrestlers. And uh, I got curious, I asked the, the proprietor of the place, who was a Middle Eastern gentleman, um, that why do you have wrestlers on your walls? Why do, you, why do you have pictures of pro wrestlers on your walls? And he says, well, I used to be a manager for Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling. I said, well, what's your name? Abu Wizal, the manager of Karachi Vice. That was Hiroshi Hase, Makan Singh, and them back in the day. And I said, oh, really? I, and then I asked him, is there any pro wrestling in Calgary right now? He said, no, there's not. But this autumn, a new company is going to be starting up. And if you want, I'll put you in contact with them. Uh, now, the promoters were Steve DeSalvo, so Steve Strong, who wrestled as Steve Strong for Gino Brito's uh, uh, international wrestling out of Montreal back in the mid-'80s, like 86, 87. Um, and then for Stu Hart as Steve DeSalvo, under his real name also, he wrestled for Carlos Colon in Puerto Rico as, as Steve DeSalvo, sadistic Steve DeSalvo. Um, and the other promoter was Chris Benoit's old tag team partner from uh, Stampede Wrestling. His name was uh, Beef Wellington. These two guys were the were the promoters. So uh, Abu Wizal put me in contact with Beef Wellington, and I got a hold of Beef, and then I made a way. My, I, I made my own way to Steve DeSalvo's realty office. He was a realtor at the time in Calgary, and and I. 
basically I called him up on the phone, said who I was and that I'd like to come in for, you know, have an audience with the guy. Um, and, and I heard that they're, they're going to be starting up wrestling, whatever it was. He said, okay, well, come into the office. I think when he saw me, I walked in with my briefcase and I had my artwork in, in, in the briefcase. I mean, what was my in at the time? Really? I was a 19 year old kid. Um, and I, I didn't know what I had to offer. It was skinny as fuck. Um, well, I wasn't that skinny. I was already working out, but I mean, the things I, I wasn't like wrestler beefy. I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't trained for wrestling. Uh, I thought, what, what can I inherently bring to the table? That these people might need because I want to get in the wrestling business. So I, I walked into Steve DeSalvo's realty office and I sat there in the waiting room until the place closed. And I could see Steve sitting in his cubicle behind, behind glass and he didn't want to receive me. He, he looked like he couldn't care less and he wanted to turn me away. He probably took one look at me and figured, ah, what the fuck, you know, it's just a, a young punk. And I waited and I wouldn't leave. And he finally said, okay, come on in. And then I talked to him and I made my pitch. I said that I'm Mike. Um, my name's Mike. I'm an artist. And maybe I could drop pictures for the weekly TV program or the, uh, the, the wrestling programs of the wrestlers or something. You know, it's just... It, some kind of an in to get into the wrestling business. And um, then he put me in a contact with, with Beef Wellington, actually. And, and then he basically, I don't think he wanted to get like waste his time with me any further than that. He figured this guy's going to be a pain in the ass. He's persistent. He's a hard-headed son of a bitch. So I'm going to pass him on to my business partner instead. And um, I got a hold of Beef Wellington. I met with Beef and they gave me a shot. They saw the ambition that I had, the, the undying ambition. And they said, okay, we'll make you a uh, ring announcer because I've got a good voice. I've always had a good voice. Uh, it's one of the ways that I make my money today. I, I do voiceovers for companies for B2B, B2C and export here in Finland um, in, in American English. Um, that's, that's one of my fortes. And I've done, uh, I've done commentary, for example, for MMA for M1 Global, which was the top MMA organization out of Europe for years and years and years out of Russia. Um, I was their ring announcer for a time. I was offered the Michael Buffer, the Bruce Buffer position with uh, M1 Global in 2010, but I turned them down because I had just gotten my chance to, to um, make it in Japan in pro wrestling. But anyway, getting back to the story, they, they took a chance on me at the age of 19. They made me initially, main thing was a ring announcer. The first taping that they had, the first event that they organized was on local access television in Calgary, right? They had some actor, some local actor doing color, uh, guesting on the commentary. He was the drizzling shits. He was the absolute drizzling shits. And Steve DeSalvo uh, was on commentary that night. And this, this actor that was supposed to somehow improve or like at least help the program. DeSalvo lost his cool with the guy during the broadcast because he didn't know jack shit. And he got rid of him during the actual broadcast, the filming. And then he ushered me over. He said, get in here. So I did the rest of the commentary. I was stumbling. I was, I was talking over Steve DeSalvo. I was so excited. Um, but still, that's, that was my introduction to the, to the world of pro wrestling. And uh, since then, I became fast friends with uh, Lance Storm and Chris Jericho. Out of and, and also, uh, I got to know Dr. Luther, who is now in AW as just Luther or Lenny St. Clair, as he was known back then. 
um, I got to know them as, as some of the guys in the locker room. And I became friends with Chris Jericho because we had a, a shared affinity for heavy metal music. Um, and then also uh, with Lance Storm, we became training partners at a local gym in Calgary. We became partners uh, so that we trained three times a week on a consistent basis for one year. And during one of those training sessions in 1993, Lance took me aside and he said, you know what? I see the passion that you have for this thing that we call pro wrestling. If you want, I will train you. And he never, never asked for a penny of my money. He did it out of friendship. He was just like basically at that time in his third professional year. But he was training guys at the Hart Brothers Wrestling School. He was one of the assistant coaches at the Hart Brothers Wrestling School. And it was on the off season that they had a guy from Australia coming to get trained. And he last needed a partner for this guy. He said, if you want, I'll put you in there as this guy's partner. Once again, I reiterate, Lance Storm never asked for a penny of my money. He did it out of friendship at the time. Now, there's another guy, like I said, Carl Moffat used to wrestle as Jason the Terrible for Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling and for Carlos Colon out of Puerto Rico. And, and Carl would take guys, I think it was on Wednesday nights, he would give make the opportunity uh for green wrestlers for newbies uh to improve their skill set to come down to training on wednesday nights and get their feet wet and get some more ring time in it he would do the training and he said to me since i was the ring announcer that hey if you want to come down just come down you know just join the training and i did i jumped at it so i had two coaches uh and i was trained during the year of 1993 by Lance Storm and Carl Moffat to become a professional wrestler. My debut was uh, January the 7th of 1994 in Calgary against Lance Storm. In seven minutes on the nose, he pinned me with a jackknife powerbomb uh, and pin. So there you go. The rest is history. What did it mean for you for him to, to train you? I mean, obviously you did have a passion for it and he saw it, but that had to make you feel pretty good, right? Well, I, I tell you what, the fact that somebody appreciates your ambition and they they see the burning heart and desire that this guy can become something because he wants it bad enough and to take a chance on somebody to take uh a chance and and really to it's very unselfish of him because like i said he never asked for a penny of my money um, i'm eternally grateful to lance storm to this day i always remember on the 7th of january on twitter on facebook and on Instagram to publicly thank Lance Storm for his contributions uh, to my career um, for that fact, because that's my milestone anniversary. That's the date. Uh, also, I have to um, like actually actually tell that the Chris Jericho for my first match, he actually gifted me my first pair of wrestling boots. Is he did kind of the thing that uh, Dynamite Kid did for Chris Benoit back in the day, where ben, or Dynamite gave Benoit his first pair of boots. So it was that Chris Jericho gave me my first pair of boots. And, and he actually lent me a pair of his old Sudden Impact uh, tag team tights, uh, a pair of orange and white tights that he had the tag team with Lance Storm for my debut match. So uh, Chris had a big hand in getting me started too. You know, and, and Chris is, is a wrestler who is still around, still making waves in, in the business. Mm -hmm. yep. What what a what an incredible example of someone who has learned how to adapt and evolve in this business right jericho is a chameleon he is by and large one of the most successful adaptable 
resilient wrestlers of, of any era. For him at the age of 52 now, Jericho is he's somebody that I really highly look up to because if you think about his, his longevity and his staying power, uh, he must have done something right. And there are lessons to be learned from people that have staying power and longevity. Uh, just as myself now, this year marks 30 years since I got into the wrestling business. Um, as I said, nobody can touch my record in the Nordics or the Baltics of Europe. Nobody. In Northern Europe, there's not a single other person that can touch my record. Uh, because it's, it's the longevity. It's the time and the miles put in. And, and Jericho has done that exact thing, but on a much higher level than, not, than I have, obviously. So kudos to Chris. I mean, all my respect. How long did you wrestle in Canada before you went to Finland? Uh, I wrestled there from for two and a half years. It was in the, in the States, so in the Nordic or in the northern part of the States um, and in, uh, in Canada. Yeah, so that was basically for a two and a half year period. Then I moved to Finland in 1996 in the summer. What made you do that? Because that is quite recession. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was there, there was there was a bad recession in Ontario at the time. I was living in Ontario. I came back from um, from art college. Uh, basically, I I burned out in my job, in the bottled water job that I had in Calgary. They had me doing wickedly long hours. They had me doing night shifts. They had me doing double duty. Um, I think it was downright halfway illegal, if not completely illegal, actually, because of, of the fact that uh, I was falling asleep at the wheel between Calgary and Edmonton. And I drive in the middle of the night and I drive spring water, distilled water and just bottled water in general uh, from from Edmonton to Calgary. Yeah. And I would be nodding off at the wheel. The highway is pretty straight there, but I would literally be falling asleep in the diesel van, uh, in the cube van at the wheel especially in the winter time. Uh, the heating was pretty, was pretty choppy in the van itself. And I would wake up to the sound of the gravel, the, the wheels hitting the gravel. And then I just like realized, hey, fuck, I just dozed off, I just dozed off the wheel. Uh, no police officer ever stopped me. I never got into an accident, but it just tells you I was doing wickedly long shifts and, and I burned out. I, I was living hand to mouth. I was living so tight. So I was literally scraping by, literally scraping by, burning the candle at both ends. And I burned out. So I moved back home uh, with my folks. I went and I finished my art degree in, in, in Ontario. I also did an entrepreneurial uh, degree there. And uh, my father at the time, being a minister, he had burned out uh, in his job because he caught this colic bacteria um, he developed something called IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, in Florida when he went to a conference there. And from some food or whatever it was, a dish that he had there, he, he got this bacteria and it messed up his stomach for a year. Every single day for a year, he'd have diarrhea. And if you know what diarrhea does to your body, it dehydrates you. The nutrients don't stay in the body. So it, you can just think that for one year, non-stop every single day diarrhea that just won't quit so he burned out in his job as a pastor and he said son uh you um like your mother and i are going to be heading out to finland for uh maybe a half a year to a year um and we just want you to know if you want to find like some some more work if you want to stay behind here it's up to you 
uh, or then if you want to come along, you can come along. Um, and he was planning on, you know, being away for six months to a year and getting his gut in order in Finland because both of my parents were Finnish. So they had roots here and they had family, here, so extended family. And at that point, I figured, okay, there's no work to be had. I applied for a job with Walt Disney, who had just opened up their offices in Toronto for illustration work, for, for animation, sorry. And, and I applied. I passed their test, but then I was too late with my, with my uh, entry and my application. And they said, that wait for six months and reapply. Well, I didn't have six months to wait. I needed a job now. I'm going to pack my bags and go to Finland, just take, take time off, take a half a year to a year, just do something else in my life and just figure it out. And that's what I did. I came with my, my folks to Finland because it was the, the jobs just weren't there otherwise. Four months into living here, I ended up starting my own business. And that was a graphic arts business called Pandemonium Productions. So I did illustration work uh, for magazines, for, for comic books, um, some newspapers, logos for companies and shit like that. So like that's that's pretty much my story. And I, I ended up uh, staying here. And how did the wrestling come about in Finland? Well... I mean, I started the wrestling business here. I, I was not the promoter, but I was the head booker, the creative mind, and the the primus motor um, in 2003. Uh, in, in the interim, I had wrestled, for example, in places like England and Scotland. But it was that WWE SmackDown began to show on, w, or on, on Finnish television at the end of uh, 2002. And at that time, it became wildly popular on this one free access uh, national station here in Finland called SubTV. They began to show SmackDown and it started to do the same kinds of numbers as Conan O'Brien. And they were neck to neck every week. It just completely skyrocketed out of the blue, became wildly popular. And then I offered myself to these different um, like talk shows and, and these like chats, late night chats on on Finnish television to talk wrestling and I got on pretty easy and uh then I there was a guy that um I, I sent out some feelers because WWE came to Helsinki uh, for the first time uh I think it was in November of 20 or no of, of uh yeah, 2002 and it was uh main evented by Rey Mysterio and um Edge against Angle and Benoit and they did about 10,000 people uh, at the Helsinki Hartwall Arena for that show. So it was a booming success. It was literally, I, I could see right then and there, there's a market for pro wrestling in Finland. And I started to ask around and I sent this, this report from that show, the, an arena report to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. And they put it online. And then I just mentioned in that report that I, that, uh, I had wrestled and... Um, I had included my email address in the report. So Meltzer put it out there. And what happened then was a guy from, from uh, Norway got a hold of me. His name was Eric Isaacson. And he said, I read your report on the Wrestling Observer website. And he said that I run the wrestling business in Norway. Would you like to come to work for me? I said, okay. And then in the same breath, he said, there's a guy out of Finland who just reached out to me a while ago. He's looking to promote, but he offered the, the head trainer position to me, but I can't do it because of my day job. I could only come in on certain weekends and do like seminar style things, but I can't come in like full time. You should probably get a hold of this guy. So I did. 
and his name was Patrick Casola. And I got a hold of this Patrick character. He called me back, uh, left a message on his answering machine. And basically, the rest is history. In the summer of two, uh, 2003, we uh, did a recruitment for guys that'd be interested in pro wrestling. And we went and uh, we actually rented out conference rooms in Helsinki hotels and also in Tampere, which is the second biggest city in Finland. Uh, we we uh, rented out these conference rooms at the hotels and we advertised all around nightclubs and gyms and shit like that with uh, a three size posters. So uh, we, we postered the town and, and we got a bunch of guys showing up at these conference rooms where I would do an introduction about what is professional wrestling. We're looking for guys who want to enter uh, the initial class of, for pro wrestling coaching here in Finland. And we're going to start running Finland. My first class, it was the Valhalla. It was called Valhalla Pro Wrestling, which is something that I coined. Uh, Pesola, once again, he was the, Patrick Pesola was the, um, the promoter and he bankrolled it. And we had our training facilities just outside of Helsinki to the north of Helsinki, about maybe 30 kilometers north in this place called Kerava. And I had about 20 students in my initial class. And the funny thing is that I broke my leg in August, just before this schooling period was supposed to start. I broke my leg, my tibia, my fibula, um, both my ankle bones uh, in my right foot in a match in Norway against Eric Isaacson when he dove off the top uh, of the ring post on a meet with a body press to the outside. And I was just turning around uh, before he jumped too early and I turned too late. And his entire body weight, over 100 kilo came crashing down out of the sky like a big bird of prey. And I heard my ankle just snap. When my other my other leg went forward and the other ones like just bent underneath me and snapped. Basically, I, I tried to get up after that body press and it, it was just like molten lava, just like a, a river flowing through my leg. Nothing held me up. And um, I got carted off to Oslo Hospital, to the central hospital in, in Oslo, Norway. They put me under, uh, they, they took the boot off my leg, put me under and they did surgery. And I, to this day, I have three plates and eight screws uh, in my ankle. So I had it reconstructed. And I taught my first wrestling class in Finland, the Valhalla boot camp in 2003 on crutches. I got into the ring on crutches with my leg in a cast, teaching guys how to do stuff. So you can imagine the kind of heart that I put into this thing. Um, so that's where it all started here in Finland, 2003. How would you describe the scene today? Is it, is it alive? Is it, is it vibrant? I mean, well, it's, it's growing because the thing is that for WWE, uh, they, they lost their TV contract here with SmackDown in uh, 2009. And for a period of, I believe it was nine years. They they were nowhere to be found. Well, actually, no, ten years. Sorry, ten years. Uh, they were out of sight, out of sound. They were only they only had a YouTube following in Finland. Live Nation, uh, which is the top uh, event organizer in the world, uh, they have offices all around every single country in the world. Uh, they took a chance on the YouTube numbers of WWE drawing something that they could work with and they they took a risk and they brought WWE here uh in the spring of 2019 and they were they had not been on television here once again keep in mind for 10 years 
only on the strength of WWE's YouTube numbers and YouTube following out of Finland did they bring them here. And they drew 4,000 people uh, to the old Helsinki Ice Hall, which was not great, but it wasn't a catastrophe either. It was kind of like one of these break-even situations. Pretty soon afterwards, about a half a year afterwards, the sub-TV channel that once carried SmackDown here picked it up again. And they also picked up Raw. And it's an edited-down version of Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown. Uh, it's a one-hour episode of each on the weekend, on Friday and on Saturday here in Finland nowadays. But it comes on really late at night, and still they, they, they were able to work themselves back in. Now, because of the presence of WWE on Finnish television today, uh, I started Slam Wrestling in 2018. It's, it's my own company. I'm the CEO. I'm the creative mind. I'm the head coach. Okay, so I'm, I'm the Vince McMahon of this company. When I started the company, I started as a one-man operation. I had no business partners. It was not an LTD, not a limited company. Didn't have shareholders. Uh, it was a one-man operation. And I realized pretty quick after losing a shit ton of money that, um, and then also not having enough, you know, um, how would you say, helping hands, that I needed to get some more people involved. So I did. I, be, I turned it into a shareholding company. And today I have three other shareholders with me in this company and we work as a team. So I'm the CEO and the main principal owner of the company. And the rest of the guys are then uh, they've split the, the rest of the shares. So basically because of the fact WWE has been here now, so the COVID came in 2020 in 2019 we were on the up, the upswing. We did a couple of really big shows, one called Mega Launch and one called Wrestle Aid. And I brought in a lot of foreign people for that. For Wrestle Aid, for example, Ameko Satomura. I brought in Tajiri from Japan, my old boss, Tajiri. I used to wrestle for Smash there, and, and I was the, the champion for two of his companies. So, And then I brought in Matt Cross, who wrestles for the NWA now, uh, and, and for MLW. And then I brought in Ivelisse Velez. Um, who was with AEW for a while. I brought in uh, several different people uh, from around around Europe. And basically, we did two shows and we put them on the largest streaming network out of the Nordics of Europe called ISTV. Even though, of course, in the beginning, you always lose money. The first three years or so of any business, it's a common, uh, well-known fact that most businesses, you lose money, you start making money in the fourth. What happened was that since I started Slam Wrestling in 2018, the first show that we ran was November 24th of 2018. Then in 2019, as we were starting to gain momentum, all of a sudden come the end of 2019, entering 2020, COVID comes around. And because of the fact that all of a sudden everything's locked down, shut down, can't run shows, the money isn't moving, companies aren't funding, uh, there's no sponsorships. There's no co-op, no nothing. We ended up in a two-year period where just struggling to pay out of pocket to get something done. So we did that. We did the best that we could in the last two-year period. And we tried to do something when the, when the restrictions eased up just a bit. And we, we, we organized some shows and I was able to sell a couple of shows and and uh, the thing is that you got to realize I've been in the media in this country, me, myself, I've been in the media since 1999. I have a, a fairly well-known face in this country. 
uh, people know who I am when they sit when they when you say the word Michael Magellati, the name Michael Magellati, or the or you say my 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 artist name, which is the Rebel Starbuck, is oh that's the wrestler. Everybody knows, everybody knows from from the south to the north to the south, east to the west. So in that way, it's it's helped me my media persona and the fact that I have a very good reputation as far as I think the people they can sense when you have substance to your character. And I think that I've been able to do that because I, I hold myself uh, to a very high credo, personal credo. I think that uh, value comes to value. And so it has with me. So with my company, even though the pandemic was on by the grace of God, I was able to work in a few shows where I was able to sell these shows and not take my own personal risk, but I still ended up losing shit tons of money in the last two years. But now we're starting in this fourth year, even though it's been two years of pandemic, we're starting now, not just only to break even, but to make money. And starting this August, we're going to be opening up our own slam wrestling streaming network, much like the WWE network, our own network out of the Nordics of Europe called slamrest.tv. That's S-L-A-M-W-R-E-S. TV. That's a monthly subscription that you can make for that for 10 bucks a month. And uh, we will be working together with other top companies in Europe, featuring some of their content on our, on our streaming service and also working together with their talent because the things I, I really believe in the old model of promoting, which was much like the old NWA model and much like Stu Hart did for uh, stampede wrestling. He'd send his boys all over the world to wrestle in Japan, to wrestle in Mexico, uh, to wrestle in, in England, to get experience. And he would do talent trades where he'd have guys come in from somewhere else and then he'd send some of his guys somewhere else. And the thing is that it's only healthy. It's good for the business. And very few companies work like this anymore nowadays. But because I'm an old school kind of guy and because I, I think that I have something as a business model to work with, which will facilitate money for me and be healthy for my crew, for my roster, for my people that I train and for the people that I work with. Uh, and keeping in mind that value comes to value and keeping in mind that you can only succeed through others. You gotta remember that. It's like the, all this talk about just you going in there and breaking down doors and all that, that's bullshit. It doesn't work. Life does not work that way. Someone has to open the door for you. There are gatekeepers that open doors. And in this world, in different countries, in different markets, you will need that gatekeeper to open a door for you. You ain't coming in there and knocking down nothing. So that's where, for me, I've chosen this as a business model for my company. And we are going to go forward with this. And uh, we're going to make this thing rock and roll. Oh, it sounds very, very exciting. We were talking before the we started uh, recording. You were talking about the tournament that's coming up, and please tell us about that and and tell us yeah. a little bit about the man that it's named after. Well, George Hackenschmidt, for those of you who don't know, uh, is the first world champion. Was the first world champion ever in the sport of professional wrestling back in 1905 uh, in the U.S. He won the title. And he was born in 1877 in Tartu, Estonia. Tartu, at the time, was under Russian rule, or the Estonia, all of Estonia was one of the Russian, uh, uh, part of the Russian Empire. So that's why he was called the Russian Lion. 
the Russian lion, George Hackenschmidt. Uh, he was a strong man, and he was a amateur wrestler, a very acclaimed, very accredited championship amateur wrestler in Europe. Then he moved to the U.S. in 1905, he became world champion, and he became also the father of the hack squat and the father of the bench press. This guy was a major deal. He was so big of a deal that even Teddy Roosevelt said at the time that if I were not the president of the United States of America, I would like to be George Hackenschmidt. So you can understand this guy was honestly as big as big gets. Now, all around the world, even to this day, historians, not, of ju not just the pro wrestling, but historians of bodybuilding and powerlifting culture, know who George Hackenschmidt is. The name is not lost on people. But nobody to this date, and I am astounded by this, nobody to this date has paid homage and tipped the hat and done their due dil diligence and, and, and done anything in the name of George Hackenschmidt. Well, first of all, I live and I operate slam wrestling in both Finland and Estonia. I have an office in Finland and an office in Estonia. I'm registered in both countries. George Hackenschmidt was Estonian. So we are doing the George Hackenschmidt Invitational Cup semifinals and finals on pay-per-view worldwide, May 14th from Tallinn, Estonia, in honor of George Hackenschmidt. Uh, and you can pick that up on primefightplay.com. That's primefightplay.com. It's the biggest fight streaming network in all of Europe, Prime Fight. And their pay-per-view service that they just uh, opened up just a while ago is called Prime Fight Play. For six bucks, you can get this pay-per-view stream. And now if uh, let me just make a really clear sales pitch as far as there's a ton of professional wrestling in the world. Okay. We have something that which we deem to be called the indie rific style nowadays. The indie rific style is very much what you see on AEW television. It's a lot of the WWE NXT style where it's nonstop spots, 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 just hyper athletic spot after spot. The problem with that is that everything in the wrestling business nowadays is cookie cutter cut out of the same piece of wood. Okay. It's not interesting. Now the NWA, when it was relaunched under Billy Corgan made an attempt about three years ago to become a love letter to the 1980s NWA. They tried to do something, which was a throwback. And for just a bit of time, just before the pandemic really hit, they were well on their way to offering an alternative to the indie-rific style that is so prevalent across the wrestling world. Now, they have dropped the ball now, too. They offer way too much in the term of all these gimmicks and these garbage, garbage matches and the same kinds of multi-person matches and things that, like, it's just it's a mirror of everything else out there. What makes slam wrestling different? Why should you care about the George Jack and Schmidt tournament? Well, it's because I don't know any other style of wrestling as a wrestler. I was brought up under what we call in our industry, the all around, uh, the American all around style, American all around. Okay. Which means that there's a bit of brawling. There's a bit of high flying. There's a bit of power wrestling. And there's a really good ground game. Hold for hold, catches, catch, can, base, and really solid fundamentals. So it's a bit of everything. But 
it's a throwback to how wrestling used to be. And this, I think, when I look at my demographics and I look at so many people in the wrestling world and I look at and I listen to people chagrin, a lot of fans even chagrin what wrestling has become. There's a big nostalgic uh, fondness for what wrestling used to be. Now, it doesn't have to look exactly like the NWA of the 1980s, but it has to be it has to carry a certain gravitas and a certain seriousness and a certain sportsmanlike uh, air to it that you can identify with that is similar to classic wrestling. That is exactly what we do. When I hire people for the job, when I bring in wrestlers from other countries to work for my company, Slam Wrestling, I tell them what I expect. This is what we do here. We don't do the indie style. Here we wrestle. The NWA, the NWA used to have uh, under Jim Crockett uh, back in around 1989. Actually, it was just bought by Ted Turner, but they had a, a, a slogan, which was NWA, where we wrestle. And this is very much something that we almost like we came up with this term that we market with called welcome back to wrestling. And that's where if you'd like to see wrestling that you can believe in if you'd like to see a throwback to what wrestling used to be when it was basically uh brought to you by the true pros the brett the hitman hearts the ted DiBiase's, when it was the rick flairs the tully blanchards the arn anderson's you know the old school true grit old school pros of the day and you remember the fondness and you could believe in that wrestling when you watched those matches you became immersed and you believed what you saw we're bringing some of that back now. So in honor of George Hackenschmidt, because we honor the tradition and the roots of our business, of our sport, and we treat this like a sport. This is sports-based professional wrestling that we're, that we're really aspiring to do here. So this is why you should care about the George Hackenschmidt Invitational Cup on May 14th out of Tallinn, Estonia, live on pay-per-view. This is why you should buy the stream for six bucks. Because... We're offering you the alternative, you, the wrestling fan. We're offering you what other companies are failing to bring to the table en masse today. So if you're a true a wrestling fan that wants something other than what you're seeing all across network television right now, if you, if you, if you want to see something more than the indie-rific style, if you want to see something that, that, that you're, you're still very fond of, that your, your parents grew up on, maybe your grandfather used to watch on television, maybe you used to watch with them. And you remember those great matches, Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect. Or you remember Ric Flair against Barry Windham. This is for you. I'm telling you right now, this is for you. So that's where I'm saying Follow Slam Wrestling Finland. You can find us on social media. You can find us on TikTok. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, all at slash Slam Rest. That's S-L-A-M-W-R-E-S. You can find the actual company website at slamrest.com. That's S-L-A-M-W-R-E-S.com. And like I said, in August, starting in August, our streaming network is starting for 10 bucks a month, which is going to be slamrest.tv. So S-L-A-S-L-A-M-W-R-E-S.TV. So there you, that's the, the long and the short of it. And uh, hopefully there's going to be a lot of people out there get excited about this. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch you down the line. 
You're listening to the Wrestleville Podcast, where wrestling lives. Have you ever wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, and Billy Jack Haynes. And of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your book today on Amazon. Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fool. The Pro, Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Vault, Vault Volume, Volume one. 1, Bill Dundee, Super Mix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Russellville. it's a wrestling, wrestling. 